guys know, Pastor Chris wanted to, to tell you guys that he misses you guys. He loves you guys. He's dealing um, with something with his dad. His dad took a hard fall, um, and he just got out of the hospital, and he's, he's having to deal with everything to do with that, him and his family. So if you can, he's going to get back here hopefully next week. But in the meantime, if you could pray for him and his family, that would be greatly appreciated. He said he loves you guys. He misses you guys. So uh, today we're going to be talking about something uh, that is very um, – I guess, critical as far as things that, that happen in the kingdom. Um, we're going to be talking about conflict resolution today. Um, you know, a lot of people, and I remember even when I first got saved, they, they try to get to this almost uh, euphoric or, or this utopia state where they don't want anything to go wrong in their lives. You know what I'm saying? They want to be all around the good people and all this kind of stuff. And I want to tell you that that's not a reality. Nowhere you're going to go is it going to be perfect. Nowhere you're going to go is it going to be, uh, are the people going to be perfect. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the church. It doesn't matter your workplace. You literally have to be in heaven to be in a perfect place. I remember when I first got saved, I was dealing with that. I'm like, ah, oh, just dealing with, you know, the people around me. I couldn't stand it. And I remember telling Mr. Joey, I was in a uh, Bible study with him. And I was like, man, I said, I, I said, I. You know, I'm tired of, like, the way people are acting and all that kind of stuff, and I wish everybody was just perfect. And he's like, well, you'd have to go to heaven because that's the only way perfect people are there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and if that was the case, I mean, literally, when Jesus saved you, he would have just took you to heaven if, that's w- if that was the case. But that's not the case. Uh, the truth is that no matter what area of our lives, whether it's church, whether it's marriage, whether it's regular relationships with friends and family or the workplace, we will inevitably face uh, difficult people in difficult situations and instead of running way away from our problems, we need to learn how to deal with them and to, to uh, confidently bring a resolution to the conflict that's brought in our life. Um, so today we're going to biblically learn how to deal with those situations. And, and notice I said biblically deal with because a lot of times, especially when we first get saved, our first reaction when conflict happens is to revert back to what we used to be when we got saved. But that's not what God wants for your life because it's just going to end in turmoil and regret. I've been there, done that. You don't want that. Um, so this is very crucial. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up with me. We're going to be in Luke 17, verses 1 through 4. Jesus said this. He said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than, ha- than that he should offend one of these little ones. He said, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So Jesus is saying that it's not a matter of if offenses will come into your life. It's a matter of when. He said it's impossible that they shouldn't come. And if you've been in church for any period of time, you've no doubt experienced offenses. I think we can all say that if you've been in, in church, if you've been even here, You've experienced inf- offenses in some way, shape, or form. Somebody stepped on your toes. Somebody said the wrong thing, or somebody didn't say the right thing to you, or somebody didn't say anything at all. You know what I'm saying? They may have passed you up, and they may have hurt your feelings. You know what I'm saying? And you took offense to it when really it was not meant to be taken offense, and they, and they avoided you. Um, we don't have the power. You got to understand this. We don't have the power to stop offenses from coming in our life, but we have, to, we have the power to not be controlled by them. And learn how to resolve them. That's what God has given us the power to do. If we can't stop them, he's going to say, look, this is how you biblically resolve these conflicts to where they're not ruling your life. The Greek word for offenses, you know, he he said it's impossible for offenses to come. The Greek word for offenses used in this passage is a word called scandalon. 
And what that word translates to, it, it's the triggering of a trap of which bait is placed on so that when the animal e takes the bait, it hits the trigger and the trap goes off and the animal is wounded or cut. Best way you can, you can picture that is when you put out a mouse trap for a mouse. The food's placed on the trigger, mouse hits the trigger, snap on the mouse. That's what scandalon is. That's what an offense is. It's a trap. So in other words, scandalon is an enticement into conduct that will ruin a person in question. You have to understand something about offenses. Offenses are Satan's trap for believers. When someone is offended, I want you to know this. When somebody is offended, this is a good way to tell if somebody has been offended in church, offended by a family member, offended by anybody, is that they often want to separate from the body. When somebody gets offended, they're hurt, and they don't want to be around people because, you know what, I got hurt by somebody, and I don't want to be around anybody anymore because they hurt me. And they become bitter towards people. If that offense is le if left to simmer for a while, they're going to they're gonna end up being bitter, and it's going to get to the heart. And they lose the desire to do anything for the kingdom of God. You separate yourself, you become bitter, and then you don't want to do anything for the kingdom of God. And then you cease to want to, lo to love people. The longer this takes place, this is the progression that ends up happening. And after that happens, you cease to want to love people, then you're back out in the world. And that's Satan's plan. That's why he traps believers. He wants to offend you to get you out back out in the world. The devil loves to cause offenses and to trip people up in their walks in Christ. And he would love nothing more than for you to stop serving Christ. He would love nothing more. You got to understand that. You have an enemy. Every day you wake up, you have to understand that, that the devil, just because of, of your creation, you're a creation of God. He hates you. And not only that, but if you're serving the Lord, he hates that because you're doing what you were made to do. Right? So he would love to offend somebody to get him backed out there, but also he would like to offend somebody in the world towards a church to where they could never come in. Right? How many people would know like that? Well, I'm not going to that church. They said this. They said that. That's not what God wants. You know, and it's in those instances that we can bring truth to, say, to them and say, you know what? He didn't really mean that, but, but you took it like that, you know? So it should be our goal to not do anything that is going to cause a brother or, or sister to stumble in their walk with Christ. Because you got to understand when you do that, sometimes it's not intentional. Sometimes people take offenses, but if you're intentionally doing something to make somebody stumble, you're being used by the devil. You're not being used by God, Okay. And, and uh, but if, if, if we do that, you know, our goal should not, to, should not to be to do that, but if we do that, it should be our even bigger goal that when somebody is offended that we did do that to somebody, it should be the even bigger goal to say, you know what, I have to make this right. I can't just let them go out. I can't just let them fall away because I did this. I have to own up to that. So offenses cause conflict, right? We're talking about re uh, resolving conflict today. Offenses cause conflict, and conflict needs to be resolved. If conflict, and conflict isn't resolved, it will cause bitterness and disunity and not only the church but in your life in general because you understand something. Bitterness doesn't, doesn't affect your relationships here. Bitterness will affect every relationship that you have in your life. If you are bitter because of what somebody did to you, chances are even the people that you love and are closest to you, you're going to turn on them as well. So bitterness invades the heart. So it causes disunity in church and in your life, but God is seeking for each of us to live in peace and unity with each other. You know, we're called the family of God. We're called brothers and sisters in Christ. He's seeking that. And why do I know that? Why do I know that he wants us to live in peace and unity with each other? Because the person that we're following, right, both initiated and resolved the greatest conflict in the history of the world, right? The offense that we had towards him, he sends his son to both initiate resolution 
and then completing it on the cross. And all that takes is us repenting and coming to him, and it's problem solved. Conflict is resolved. So that's how I know he wants, that's how we know he wants resolution between us. If he was willing to do it for us, if he was willing to come and initiate something that he didn't have to do but loved us so much that he wanted to do that, he wants the same thing for each of us. That, that our brothers and sisters, if there are offenses, if there are conflicts with each other, we have to be able to, to resolve those things between each other so that uni- unity can come. So if the person I'm following was willing to resolve the conflict I had with him, then I have to ask myself this one question, right? How do I resolve conflict biblically? How did I do it as Jesus did it, right? I felt like the Lord really highlighted around four areas. There are four areas that, that if you want to resolve a conflict biblically, and in the right order. The first thing is you have to have humbleness. You know, like humbleness is so essential. Anytime that I've had to resolve a conflict with anybody in church, it took humbleness on my part. And a lot of times that's hard because once we get offended, this, this thing wants to rise up in us. You know, and it, it stems from the hurt because this pride is like, oh, they hit me, they hurt me, they did this thing to me. But humbleness gu- is what guards your heart in any situation. Because a lot of times, even in the situations where someone has hurt you, or has seemingly done something wrong to you, you truly don't know that person's heart, the motive, or even the perspective of the person until you get in a conversation with them. I mean, how many times does that happen? Like, like something may happen to you, and you took it one way, and then you get in a conversation with somebody, and they're like, man, I didn't even mean it to be like that. But yet we took it like that because our perspective was different from theirs, right? So you have to, that's what humbleness is. It's like humbleness is, man, when they do something to me, I'm like, okay, I don't know why they did that. I'm going to humble myself. I'm not going to rise up and, and be prideful and, and, and go at them. I'm not going to remain humble because in all seriousness, you know, you, you look at Philippians 2. It says, let the same mind be, be in you, that which was in Christ Jesus, that he humbled himself, right, and took on the form of a man. So if he humbled himself and came down, then we have to humble ourselves and come down, right? So I have to be humble enough also. I have to be humble enough to admit and accept when I'm wrong. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing to do sometimes because everybody wants to be right. Even if somebody didn't want to, even if somebody didn't do, if somebody didn't do something to you, you still want to be right. You know what I'm saying? So, so this thing is like, if you have pride and you're going in, you're going like, you did this and you did that, and like, man, I didn't even mean that. And you're like, yeah, but you did this and you did that, and like, man, I didn't mean that. You know? It, it, so humbleness guards your heart, and humbleness, we have to be humble enough not to be prideful when I'm right. Right? When you know that you're right, and you know that you, you you're you're on the right side of whatever argument that it is. I have to be humble enough to say, you know what, even when I'm right, I'm still going to be humble. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this in, in, the, in the proper fashion, the way the Spirit of God would. And, and I'm not going to allow myself to blow up on the, pers- the person who hurt me. That's what humbleness does. Humbleness will not allow you to blow up on the person that hurt you. And that's what God wants. And the second thing is you have to have courage. Uh, a lot of times people don't uh, face or confront the conflict because they're afraid of how the person will react to what they're bringing. How many times, even in your marriage, you know, your, your spouse may do something to you, and you may, it may hurt you, they may hurt your feelings, they may have said something wrong or done something wrong and snapped at you, right? But, but you don't, you don't want to bring it to them, because if they did that, then I don't know how they're going to respond to the correction I'm bringing them now. And all that is is fear. You know, you have to have the courage to say, you know what, like, you did do this. I have to be able to have a conversation. We have to start normalizing conversations between each other. And it takes the courage to do that. And it should be that anybody in here, I should be able to come up to you and say, hey, do you have a minute to talk? That's all it takes. You know, a lot of times we, a lot of times we make a big deal out of something that doesn't need to be a big deal. 
All I need to do is just get in a conversation with you, right? If I'm humble and I can just have a conversation, well, let's talk this out, right? We need, to, we need to have courage to be able to confront the person or issue that is in conflict to be able to resolve it. If you never confront something, you just sweep it under the rug, it never gets resolved. And guess what happens? You sweep it under the rug, that heap gets ki- get, keeps getting bigger and bigger. And eventually, you're going to be like, there's something right here, <laughs> right? And then, and then you're like, yeah. And then you have to unpack all this stuff instead of just dealing with it right there, right? I mean, how many times have we been there? It's like, you, like, you know, husband and wife may get in a shouting match because they're like, you did this, you did this. And he's like, you did this and you did this because they had all this stuff under the rug and they weren't willing to deal with it because they didn't have the courage to deal with it, right? And this stems, like I said, in any relationship that you have in life. It could be in the workplace. I've had to do this with somebody in the workplace. Somebody was treating me a certain way, and I'm like, I genuinely don't know why he's treating me like this. Like, I didn't do anything to the guy, you know, but, but out of just like, wanting things to be right, and I really wanted to, to talk to him again because we had a great relationship, and then there was something there. And I, I literally said, hey, man, can we just go talk? I had to have the courage to say, man, you know, I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm tired of seeing him like this. I love this guy. I don't want him to be dealing with this anymore. I don't want to deal with this anymore because I feel like I'm, on, I'm walking on eggshells. Can we just talk, right? We have to normalize those conversations. This next thing is big. And this is something that is crucial. Um, and this is, needs to be at the forefront of, of all of our lives, even as Christians, um, in our walks. But vulnerability. Vulnerability. Vulnerability is the ability to be open about what you're dealing with. The definition of the word vulnerable is to be open to attack or damage. And that may make you feel like, man, if I open up, I'm just putting myself in a position where people are going to hurt me for telling them how, how I feel, right? But it actually will do the opposite of what you think it's going to do. You know, you may, you may think that, that putting yourself out there and like, man, I'm really struggling with this or this made me feel a certain way. You may think that, like, people are going make to make you feel dumb and all this kind of stuff. And that, it actually does the, the opposite because what happens is when I'm in a conversation with you and I'm sharing what's on my heart with you, you start to see what's in there. And you start to being able to sympathize with people like, man, I never knew you were struggling with that. I never knew. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 it, and it brings us on the same level because it's like, man, I never knew you were dealing with that. I never knew you were struggling with that. And a lot of times when, when I've had a conflict with somebody and we're looking to resolve it, they'll, they'll bring me a perspective of uh, something, and I can sympathize with that. You say, you know what? I was the same way earlier on in my walk, right? I can, I can, I can identify with what you're dealing with because you were vulnerable with me. And that's something that, that there is no person that you're going to meet in church, right, that has it all together. We have to learn to be vulnerable with each other because even somebody behind the pulpit is dealing with stuff. I don't care. The greeter is dealing with stuff. Children's church is dealing with stuff. But, but if I can tell you what I'm dealing with and be, be honest with you, you can, say that, you can see that I'm human just like you. That's it. That's it. Vulnerability brings compassion and clarity. Compassion and clarity. And a lot of times we don't want to open up, especially men. We were talking about this at the men's conference today. A lot of times we don't want to open up because we view vulnerability as being weak. Right? I mean, how many times? Like, I got it, guys. You know, I don't need anything. I'm good. And if we're not able to open up and tell each other what we're dealing with, it's because we have pride. It's because we don't want people to know what we're dealing with. It's not that you have it all together. You don't have it all together. I promise you. 
I promise you, you don't have it all together. And the fact that you're not willing to open up and be vulnerable, vulnerable with people, you have pride in your life. And you're just masquerading it as having it all together. We'd rather just keep our mouth shut and shut ourselves off from everybody else than be vulnerable. We have to normalize being vulnerable with each other if we truly want conflict to be resolved in our lives, in our, our relationships, our family, be vulnerable. Because I, guess what? You know, I'm thinking about this too. People in your life that are not Christians, if they can see that, man, look, I've struggled with this. You know what I'm saying? The Lord freed me of it. Then it says, you know what? I thought you were one way, but you're really not. Because a lot of times it's the same thing out in the world. They view you as one way. It's the perspective thing, and then, and then it's a, a he said, she said. They're believing stuff that other people have said about Christianity and never you and you like that. But if I can have a heart-to-heart -heart with people and I can be vulnerable with them and I can preach the gospel, they receive that. Because guess what? I'm not any different from you. The only thing that, that, that's different about me is I serve Jesus and that he changed my life. Right? That's all. Don't be afraid of being vulnerable. Don't be afraid of being vulnerable. And the last thing that we need to resolve conflict is we need the word. His word should be the standard of how we resolve any conflict, not our feelings. Not our feelings. And our feelings will handle situations irrationally and in ways that are totally embarrassing to the other person. When we get hurt automatically, we want the other person to pay for what they did to us, right? Oh, God's going to get them. God's going to get you. God's going to get you. That's what we want. And, that's, and I've, I've heard it. I've heard it. Like, you know, I ain't worried about them. God's going to get them. Come on, man. That's hurt. That's the feelings. And we want to expose them in front of other people to where people can see them for who they really are, right? But if we really thought about that mindset, would we want to be exposed like that every time we messed up, right? Would we want to be exposed every time we did that to somebody? What did Jesus say? Matthew 7, 12, right? He said, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So he's saying, like, when you, when you want to do that to somebody, when you want to expose them, they're like, they did this in front of everybody. Do you want that same thing to be done to you? I don't think so. If we were very honest with ourselves, I don't think so. And this is why the word has to be our standard on how we deal with conflict and offense. It's not hard. God's already laid it out for us. In any conflict, we're either the offender or the offended, or we're just the friend that, that, uh, of either one of those that knows the situation, right? Which in that case, you need the one to be provoking them to resolve that conflict. Everybody has an obligation in that. Regardless of what position you are in, in a conflict, the process of dealing with it is always the same, right? This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He said, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So it is he saying, you know, when we're coming into worship like we just did, if you, if you know that you offended somebody, you got to go deal with that thing first. Leave your gift at the altar. The altar's still going to be here when you get back. Go deal with that first. Because guess what? If you've offended somebody, that's all they're going to be thinking about during worship. And that's all that you're going to be thinking about because the Holy Spirit's going to be dealing with you the whole time until you deal with it. Right? I've been there. done that. Matthew 18, 15, this is what Jesus said. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him. What? Alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. So he's saying that, you know, 
the offender, if you've done something, go to him. But he's saying that if you've been offended, go to him. So, so everybody has an obligation. God never wants this unresolved conflict to keep going and going and going on in the church. Because what happens is once you take an offense and you have people that are close to you, they take secondary offenses and it spreads throughout the church. God does not want disunity. He's a God of order. He wants unity with us. So the first thing in the process, what did, what did Jesus line out for us? The first thing is that, that we have to go alone and talk to them about what's been done. That's the first thing in the process. Every, every conflict that you're going to have in your life in this place, okay, you need to go to. And even in, even in your marriage, even anything, go to them alone and talk to them about this. The first and foremost thing we need to do is be, to be able to, to go and have a heart-to-heart with someone about what they did to you in private and not in front of anybody. Even though someone has wronged you and hurt you, understand this, even though somebody has hurt you and wronged you, God still calls you to cover your brother or sister and not expose your conflict in, ev- in front of everyone. It's in private first. And that goes for social media too. That goes for social media too. And I'm saying, I've seen, it, I've seen it here, guys, and we can't do that. When we're hurt, don't go blasting on Facebook. We don't do that. We're in private. We deal with it in private first. And sadly, the first thing that people usually do is, is go, they go and tell, right? But they go and tell everyone else other than the person that offended them. So Jesus said go. Yeah, he said go to that person. Because we like to go. We like to go around everybody else's back, and they did this, and they did that. Man, look, you're not dealing with the problem. Be straightforward. Go and tell that person. If they wronged you, if they upset you, or if you did it to them, you need to go to that person, to that person, rather than going to everybody else. And if, if no resolution happens at this point, the second thing you do is you bring a couple more people into the situation. Jesus said in verse 16 in Matthew 18, he said, But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established, right? And we do this for a couple of reasons. One is accountability, and two is counsel. We bring, people, we bring in people to the situation who either saw the situation happen or are going to be reliable in keeping the situation accountable as to what has to be done and said, but also offer up biblical wisdom on what the resolution needs to be to this. Because like I said, a lot of times it's very easy for us to give into feelings, and we, we, don't, we negate the word. So coming into come bringing people in who are not biased about the situation and know the word of God and can keep you accountable and say, guys, this is what needs to happen. That's, this is the stuff that happens next. The third thing is that you bring it to the church. Jesus said this, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him, to be, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So there's a progression here in terms of not only the number of people that you're bringing into this, but... Uh, into the situation and getting involved, but also an increase in the realms of authority. Understand this, in the realms of authority within the church. And it's at this point where pastors get involved, they need to, elders, leaders, to where they can bring resolution to this um, and, and to help resolve the situation. But notice what step this is, right? Bringing stuff to your pastor is the last step. <laughs> but sadly, what happens is, is everybody wants to go to the pastor first. And that's not what Jesus said. They say, well, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so did that. Well, that's great. But your pastor isn't called to solve every problem in your life because he doesn't live with you. 
He doesn't work with you. He doesn't go around with you all the time. Your pastor's job is to train you up to be able to say, you know what, there's a conflict. I need to be able to resolve it myself. And it's not until the third step of the process that I come to him, right? So which position are you in today, right? We're talking about the offended, we're talking about the offender, and we're talking about the friend. Are you in a position where you're offended? Has somebody done something to you? Are you in a position where you've offended somebody? And like I said, if somebody's offended, it's really easy to say, are you, are you distancing yourself from people? Are you distancing yourself from the body? Are you losing your fire? Are you, are you have bitter, do you have bitterness in your heart? Very, very clear indications that something may be wrong, guys. And all it takes is a conversation. A lot of times, like I said, it's a misunderstanding. It's a, it's a perspective issue. It may not even be that somebody's right or wrong. It just may be that you're looking at it wrong. And it wasn't meant to be like that. So I'm going to ask this, and this is the part of the altar call, is altar call is not going to be hands laid on anybody. This is an action message, right? If you're offended, you need to go to that person. If you're the offender, you need to go to that person. And if you're just the friend who knows about the situation on either end, you need to tell your friend, Hey, you need to go deal with that because I'm tired of seeing you dealing with it. So who is it in your life that, that, that did something against you? Who is not here right now, not here right now in this place because they got offended at something you may have done? That you need to go make it right. That's how we biblically resolve stuff. God wants you to have unity with your brothers and sisters, not discord forever. So who is it, guys? And I want to offer this. I will offer this altar call. Everybody stand with me. I talked about Jesus, how he initiated the greatest conflict resolution ever in, in, man, in man's history. If that conflict has never been resolved in your life, if you've never come to Christ, if you've never had your sins forgiven, and you would know, if that, if that conflict has been resolved in your life, you would know. There is a, when, when you resolve a conflict with a friend, there is a weight that is lifted, there is a clarity that comes, and it's the same with